That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Here we are, face to face, a couple of silver spoons. You brought that up. You it's brought you me, that up. You and me. Bringing it back. So, for those of you that don't know, there was a sitcom in the early 1980s about a wealthy family in probably California. The father ran a mm-hmm. toy company, and the uh, son was played by a young Rick Schroeder. And really, all I remember about the show is that because they were rich and his dad owned a toy company, they had like a rather large model train that you could mm-hmm. ride through the house, which I thought was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Yes, and it. A lot of people don't know that uh, actually um, Silver Spoons was where Alfonso Ribeiro, also known as Alfonso Spears, got his kickoff. And he was, you remember, a spokes, uh, Michael Jackson impersonator. And um, Wait, 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 wait. Shut the mm-hmm. front door. Are you talking about Britney's husband? Britney who? Britney Spears, she just got married. And you said no, Alfonso that was the, that was like, his character that? on Silver Spoons, uh, oh. but it was also okay, Alfonso. I retract yeah, my Alfonso Ribeiro. I'm now bored. Uh, who was a, a, a spokesperson for Pepsi later on in life, and um, and uh, did a lot of Michael Jackson impersonations. But it was a great show, and uh, like we said earlier, uh, that train. What kid didn't want that train? I know. I hear you. Well. That was all about nothing. Let's move on. Uh, Here nothing. We are. It was about amazing September. privilege. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, okay. Talk about so that was just a time when, like, every but the whole here I am trying to move on. Was just totally Go ahead, out Jake. of touch. Anyway, so um, it was great. Yeah. Did we also talk about different strokes on this on this? Year I think podcast? we did a while about, ago. Like, but how you know, you this could, was once again just the idea that like. Sh- a white older man would adopt these two black yeah. boys and raise them, and everybody was like, "Sounds yeah, no, cool, but, uh, you know, it's a good idea." I mean, for these a show. were like shows reflective of like Reagan economic trickle down economics and uh, all of that. So, but anyway, <laughs> ooh, look at us getting saucy. Anyway, we should stop. We should well, stop before. Just heard a bunch of people unsubscribe. <laughs> Sorry. For the record, Jake said it, not me. Um, okay, so today, moving today, on. Well, how are you doing? How are you doing besides <laughs> silver spoons? You opened that can of worms, but anyway, I'm good. I'm good. I didn't know it was going there, but yeah, I'm doing. I'll always well. take it there. I no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're um, we're moving on now. In the so you know you, we're recording this in late August, and in in Waco, Texas, because Baylor is back in session, and our public schools here start you know, mid-August, we're, we're back in the full swing of things, and um, which is exciting. We have our fall launch coming up this weekend, and we've got um, exciting stuff planned. I'm going to be teaching a series on Galatians on Sunday morning, starting on in September, which I'm looking forward to. Haven't done a lot of Sunday morning Bible teaching other than preaching in a while, so I'm, I'm stoked about that. It's still hot as blazes, but it's like normal hot as opposed to Dante's yeah. Inferno, like crazy 
melt your face off hot. So uh, it's like, you know, in the 90s you know, as opposed to the like. Yeah, last week we were talking about burying crosses. And I just want everybody to know that I have been burying a cross because um, I'm sitting in a very hot office because I've had my air conditioning off because you can hear it through the microphone. And uh, as Aaron will attest, there is a glow about me because I'm just sweating in this place. So maybe I, you want to. I yeah, just screenshotted it. Now I'll post on. it on the installator. Really, let me unbutton two more buttons, and then then you put that on the <laughs> okay. installator. Yeah, there we go. It's like <laughs> the time we recorded in a sauna. I think it would be great if actually we could record in a sauna. Just be like. With the eucalyptus branches and all of it, amazing. This may yeah, cause this picture. We'll do a, a Russian that Vanya picture may cause a lot of people Beach. to stumble. So I should probably button up. But anyway, um, <laughs> you've been warned, everybody. You've been warned all over the place uh, today. Right. Silver spoons on button shirts. Um, so, but we have. This is where people start to get really bored. They're like yeah. skipping ahead. They're like, get to it, so get to Exodus it. Right, so Exodus chapter 32, verses came for. 7 through 14. And then we have uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And then we get into some exciting parables in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. It's an exciting week for preaching. But we open up with uh, the book of Exodus. And uh, this is a very powerful, powerful passage. Um where uh, Moses um, essentially is, so um, a few chapters back, it's just been short, short, but uh, I think back in Exodus chapter 24, Moses comes down with the covenant from God and he lays it all out to the people. And uh, it culminates with the people uh, saying, all that you, all that the Lord has commanded, we shall do. And then Moses, uh, they, they sacrifice the animals and they throw the blood on the people. And this is the sign of the Mosaic covenant. You know, so where um, Abraham, God walks through the animals on this, the, the blood of the animals is thrown on the, on the people. So, aka, if you don't do this, the blood's on your hands. And here we come, and uh, so Moses go, gives some instructions about the tabernacle, and then he goes back up to the mountains where he's with God, and everybody kind of begins to freak out, and is like, is, is Moses coming back? Something happened. If you read the book of Hebrews, he makes it very clear that this, is, this, this sort of thing is terrifying. This is terrifying what's going on. And so Moses is up there, the people freak out, and uh, they're like, Aaron, do something. Uh, make us a God. And so Aaron's like, finally buckles to the pressure, they collects all the gold, they uh, melt and they make this golden calf and then they begin to revel, you know, just, you know, all that reveling includes. And, uh, and this God catches, God, God catches wind of this. And this is the setup for Exodus 32. And uh, he basically tells Moses, get down there at once. These people, I'm sick of them. I've been providing quail, water, manna. You know, I mean, what? I, I'm up here on a mountain thundering. You know what I mean? This is terrifying. And these people, I'm so close to them, but they don't want something close. They want a, a bull god. And so I'm going to destroy them all. And out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. Now, this is really interesting uh, because had... Uh, God done that, he'd still be faithful to his covenant with Abraham because he'd start a new nation out of them. But then here we see Moses essentially function as a mediator, a type and a shadow of Jesus. And notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't appeal to his covenant <clears throat> that goes back <clears throat> 
to Genesis uh, to Exodus 24 where I started. <clears throat> he says, "Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, and you how you swore to them by yourself, saying, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven." So he appeals not to this kind of idea of works, but to this idea of faith. And, uh, you know, that the just shall live by faith, the just shall live by grace, the just shall live by mercy. And so in here, Jesus, uh, Moses is functioning as a type and shadow of the one who will not only fulfill the Mosaic covenant by living it perfectly, but will fulfill Abraham and Isaac's covenant on their behalf as well. Then it says, the Lord changed his mind. Well, this is just basically a, um, a description of God by which... Um, uh, we can understand kind of what's happening. But God has always had the plan that the just would live by faith and the just would be justified by Jesus. Yeah, I think the way the Lord Yahweh appears in this passage to me reminds me of the kinds of conversations that he has throughout Scripture, but that Jesus himself shows. So, you know, when somebody asks Jesus what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you see in the law? How do you understand it? And the person was like, well, blah, 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 blah. Jesus knows the answers. He knows the heart of the person asking. And he's asking the conversation. When Jesus says, well, how do you read it? It's not like he doesn't know. Mm. Uh, and there's a way in which Jesus in his incarnation humbly takes his place as a human being and sometimes has conversations very much like a human being in a way that he almost sounds limited. He takes a humble position in these conversations to elicit a response from his fully human, non-divine uh, conversation partner. And here, I see Yahweh doing that with Moses a little bit, um, uh, because you're right, there is this issue like, what, God's changing his mind? No, this is how Moses understands the conversation to have gone as God takes this position with Moses in order to help Moses kind of come along in his own understanding of, oh, remember Abraham and Isaac. And it's not like God forgot Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. It's not like God forgot what he said to them. It's God taking this humble position with Moses, in a sense, to help Moses remember these things. And uh, so anyways, that's, that's, it's, it's almost, it just shows that God is God throughout the Holy Scriptures, not an Old Testament God, no, that's New Testament right. God, like God's the same throughout the whole thing. Um, but I think there's also something here you could preach about what it is about human beings, that even when we're in the presence of the actual God, we'd much rather have a smaller God that we can control, because the actual God is so full of uncertainty and so hard to understand. What do you mean I have to pray and then just wait and trust? That sucks. I don't want to do that. I'd much rather be like uh, the mom in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and go to the lady down the street that will look in the crystal ball, read the tea leaves, and tell me what I want to know. I don't want to live in a place of trust and faith. I want to live in a place of like total certainty where I'm in control and I can make things come out the way I want, which is w what you get if you have a God made out like a little golden calf. I think it's also important to note that they didn't actually think they were worshiping a different God. They thought they were worshiping the same God, but through this symbol of a calf, a bull calf, which is like the symbol of power and vitality and all this strength and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't that they changed gods, it's that they were worshiping God in the way they wanted to, where they could make God do what they want. And there's a whole bunch you could say there about how, you know, sometimes in our culture today, we think the idolatry passages have nothing to say to us because we're not like the people in Indiana Jones and the 
Temple of Doom. Uh, we're not people that are bowing down to these weird statues. You know, we're not like that. And um, but we, I believe in God. I believe in God. Well, which God? You know, as God is revealed in the scriptures, that may not be the deity that you're actually when you when you the things you attribute to that God when you pray and when you put your faith in God. They may they may actually be a little bit off base. Um, and it's just a reminder to check ourselves and how we yeah. worship. So I, uh, here, here end of my that's lecture. Good. And uh, I, yeah, yeah, well, thanks. I do think that, I mean, I think that's a very interesting point is how we actually, um, we actually prefer gods that don't speak, actually. And we want, uh, we mm. want our gods uh, really far off and distant. And that actually, I mean, you know, we yeah, want a but I always hear people and they're like, oh, God seems so far away. And uh, no, nothing could be further than the truth. He dwells in you. I mean, that's the kind of God that this is. He's really up close and he's talking. Now, he may not be saying what you want, and um, but, but he's talking and he's present. And I think that's a very great point about how we love to take near things and give them distance and say, oh, that's our God. Behold, Israel, your God, you know. Um, and uh, where God likes to always take his distance and make himself very near. <laughs> and so, um, and that nearness yeah, now, that yeah. nearness, God, the God of the Bible, but is that God. nearness now, praise God, is mediated uh, through, you know, people are like, I don't like a mediated God nonsense. You can, without a mediated God, you're dealing with Exodus. But this God now is mediated in flesh in Jesus Christ and now deigns to dwell with you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so once again, taking his distance and making himself very near and uh, continuing to give you those dist what seem like distant promises, giving you them uh, and making them very near in ordinary things like water and baptism and uh, bread and wine, which is his body and blood. And uh, so um, you can compare and contrast. That would be a great thing to preach on as you work your way to the gospel is this distinction between a distant God and the God who actually is very, very near. Yep, and I think you could also, by the way, talk about this great thing that um, uh, when Aaron uh, is trying to defend himself for why he made the golden calf, he's like, I just threw these rings and earrings in the fire and just out came this calf. It's just the whole story is a great uh, illustration of how people, uh, um, you know, uh, justify their oh, actions sure. and all that. So the, anyway, there's a lot of stuff you could talk about, What he, like the way human I, human beings turn to idolatry, how we make God into something that is, as you said, doesn't mess with us and doesn't do what, we just want a God to do what we want, but not trouble us too much. Anyways, there's a, how we justify sin, uh, all these things. But ultimately, this is a story about the mercy of God who who does not bring disaster mm. and um, forgives Amen. people. So. Well, moving on to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. We're not really going to get into the question of Pauline authorship. There's some debate about whether Paul wrote this or not. These letters attributed to Paul. Um, some people, some scholars disagree. We're going to just take it as face value um, and read it that way. Here, so we'll, we see this as, as, as Paul talking about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul's getting honest about who he is and his life, uh, that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, which what's interesting about him saying that is he was doing those things while he thought he was super holy. He was a blasphemer while he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, 
and he says it was in that state that the grace of Jesus overflowed for me. And then he says, if you're in an Episcopal church and you've been to a right one service or at St. Albans, where we use it even in right two with the bishop's permission, what's called the comfortable words, four verses of scripture. And one is this from First Timothy chapter one. This saying is sure is worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that is headline news because that is not what you get from what we commonly know as mm. religion, disgrace and mercy for and this picture of Paul being this icon, an emblem of the faith, someone who is um, who receives the grace of God while doing nothing to deserve it. And in fact, that would be too kind. Not he's he's actively working against God, trying to stamp out the church and killing Christians. So, I mean, if you want to preach a short, powerful gospel sermon, this is your passage. Uh, I think to talk about um, how you know. <laughs> Show of hands, who in this congregation feels like they're worthy of God's love or is, you know, getting straight A's in Christian behavior? And nobody will put up their hand and you'll say, well, good, you're just God's cup yeah. of tea. Welcome to Christianity. I think I think this is also a real profound lesson on, like, what sanctification actually looks like. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say um, uh, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost— he doesn't say, you know, of who I used to be or like, you know, I'm steadily making progress, but of who I am the foremost. And like the Christian life, it is both saint and sinner at the same time. And uh, really, I mean, you have this powerful idea that oftentimes, sometimes uh, when God is near, um, I mean, it's uh, to be near that sort of holiness and that perfection is to uh, reveal how little we actually are. And uh, to reveal how little we actually are isn't a despairing thing, but it becomes the enabling agent by which we might boast in Christ all the more, uh, the one who continues to show utmost patience, you know, and, uh, and this final salute, you know, to the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, and amen. You know, it's oftentimes when we continue to see ourselves on a sort of a self-improvement plan and getting better and better each day, you know, uh, what's that, that gorilla song, each day, getting better each day, mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, it's like, well, I'm going to boast, oh my gosh, Lee, I am just improving, you know what I mean? But actually, this is an embodiment, I think, of kind of the, uh, the concept and the idea of sanctification. It's the ongoing process of realizing, Paul's all taught us this, it's the ongoing process of realizing that you are justified as you come into the dark areas of your life. And, uh, and it's not, dang, I'm doing great, but it's, um, I'm still the chief of sinners, uh, and to God be the glory that he saves a person like me. Yeah, Paul always used to talk about the unevangelized continents in the human heart. That, <laughs> yeah, that was such a great line. Where, you know, that you have not really yet opened that part of your life to the Lord. And, or as Martin Luther said, the old Adam is drowned in baptism, but he is a mighty good swimmer. So there's always room <laughs> to hear this message again and again. And so that's why it's so wonderful to turn to the gospel reading, Luke chapter mm, 15. Amen. Now we'll get, what's interesting is we don't, this is the chapter of the, the, that beloved parable of the two sons or the older and younger brother, or as it's more commonly known, the parable of the prodigal son. That comes right after this passage, but we will not read it on this Sunday and we will not read it on next Sunday. We'll skip right past it. Um, it comes up in different times in the lectionary three-year cycle. But these two passages are, they give you the setting, the prompt for the story the, of the famous prodigal son. Um, 
you you get the backstory and you get the first two parables that are part of this kind of three-part parable thing that Jesus does. So we get um, the setting, which is Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, they're coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees, the, the holiness police, are getting really upset with this rabbi who claims to be a religious teacher, yet is eating with sinners and welcomes them, and it's crazy, crazy stuff. And it's because of that Jesus tells these three parables we get to this Sunday. So the first one is the parable of the lost sheep, and the second is the parable of the lost coin. Uh, and um, Jake, what would you preach about these stories? Because I know you've already done it many times mm. in your illustrious homiletic career. What would you say? Well, I I like, um, so in the context of the, the, the parable of the prodigal son as well, like what Capon talks about here is that each of these... Um, it's the 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 cost is getting greater so at first it's a sheep and then it's this woman with just a coin and then it goes to a son and so um so but the the real point here i think is first of all lost i mean just get in touch with that inner child uh who uh when you were lost in the mall and how you know i remember when i was a kid and i always you get in touch with that uh and somebody can relate if you've ever been really lost or when i was one time lost in the woods i mean up in the catskills it is a it's a frightening experience it's actually i mean the only word to describe it is helplessness you know yeah. i remember uh i remember just i somebody some fool had knocked off the blazers off this trail and i had wandered off and then, you know, because I'd wandered so far off on what looked like a trail, then I lost like the scent. I mean, I was out in the woods for a while and it started to rain. And I was like, my God, I mean, that it is a feeling of total helplessness. And uh, so while um, he's speaking of animals here, you think about you think about a lost sheep out there and what does a lost sheep do? It just like bleats and bleats and bleats. And uh, what that is, is that's the buzzer for the predators to say, come eat me, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's the, the one point is to be, what I would hit on is to be lost, is to be helpless. Um, however, um, uh, when you're found, you're no longer lost. You know, even if you haven't moved an inch. And that's the powerful thing about the coin. You know, the coin didn't go anywhere. The coin came into the sights of the woman who was looking for it. Uh, the, the, mm. the, the, the lamb didn't go anywhere, but probably in the wrong direction. But uh, it came into the sights of the one who was looking for it. So you and I on our own are lost. We're helpless. But you, uh, and this is how I would preach it, you have come into the sights of the good shepherd. You've come into the sights of the poor woman. And uh, they have their sights on you. And now you're found. It's not that you got mm -hmm. to the right spot, but that they've put you into their sights. And now you're found. And uh, that is good news. And uh, the moment that Jesus and his gospel come to you, the moment you've been baptized, the moment you get a little bread and wine in your mouth, uh, uh, you've come into the sights of Jesus, no matter how you're feeling. And there's a lot of people out there right now with like kind of, I think, recession and feeling of like economic pressures, especially here in New York, that are feeling very lost 
um, and they need to know that it's not about their movement, but God's movement towards them uh, that says you're found. You are in the sights of the good shepherd. You're in the sights of the lady looking for a penny. Yeah, and I think that is such a key point in both these stories and in the prodigal son story. But in these, there's there's really, um, I think, two common threads that jump out at me. Uh, the first is what you've uh, hit on, Jake, the initiating, active, proactive, searching love of God. Many people who are lost and they come into our churches and they feel like they've come home. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, yes, but but God <laughs> is, is the one so who brought good. you here. Yes, don't because say you've God got has home. been God found you. Yeah, God has God has brought you here. God has been searching for you. God has been on your tail, uh, not like Dog the Bounty Hunter in sort of mean way, but like a really like God has been pursuing you to bring you home because He loves you, because He cares for you, because you're out there on your own, mm. um, and. Uh, so this active initiating thing, like there's just so many people were raised in traditions that said like, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, but there's no handle on his side of the door. So you <laughs> have to open it from the inside. And, um, you know, we, we kind of make God into this, um, we, we rob him of his power and there he is. Like, you know, we, we're the ones who have to let him in and, or we can kick him out, but really we hold the cards. And that is so wrong. Jesus is the one who's actively searching for us, uh, and which is what, you know, Paul references that in this passage in First Timothy, where he says, like, God rescued me while I was this chief of sinners blasphemer. He's the one that came to me. And how it ties into and, Exodus is that when we're looking for God, we actually fashion him into a calf. <laughs> right, right. So we should not be the ones that are looking for God. We should remember that God is the one who's looking for us and has found us and is bringing us home. So that's the thing. The act is like, say to the people in your congregation, you might feel far away from God. This does not mean you are far away from God. It means that God is looking for you right now. And the fact that you're sitting in these pews, hearing the word of God read and given a chance to come and receive the sacrament, that means that God has God has brought you home. And that is true for you today, mm. no matter how you feel or what you've done. The other thing that, that I emphasize in this passage, so the first thing is the activity of God, the initiative of God. God is the searcher. We are not the ones who come home. God is the one who brings us home. The second thing is this um, is the rejoicing, or the parties that happen uh, in this passage. When God brings you home, he, uh, he <laughs> when he picks you up and is driving back to the pearly gates, he makes a stop at uh, Party City on the way home uh, mm. to, to pick up all the decorations because he's inviting everyone over. And in both these stories, he just says, rejoice with me. And there's this, this giant party. Of course, in the prodigal son story, it ends with a giant party. Um, and uh, we see that here as well. So this, contra to the picture of God, that, again, so many people have. We talked in the beginning how people worship God, but they worship a fake God like the Israelites did with the golden calf. They think they are worshiping Yahweh, but they've made him into something they think he should be or whatever. We do the same thing with our understanding of God. We make God into this angry, ticked-off um, person who like is just standing there waiting for us to come home. And he's like checking his watch, tapping his foot, and very annoyed at all the ways we've broken the rules. And so we come back grudgingly, and, and you know maybe he'll let us back in. And that is worshiping an idol. That's a false god, because that's not who God is. That's a golden calf. That's fake. What we actually have is a real god who is searching for us right now, and who, when he brings us home, is so delighted because he's so crazy about us that he rejoices and he wants to have a party with all his friends. So that's... So good. 
what you talk about when you talk about these stories, who God actually is, not the fake God that we often make him out to be. Amen. That is a, that is a good word. It's a good word for you. It's a good word for me. And uh, it's, I think it's a good place to stop. Well, let's call it. We'll see you guys next week. God bless you. Peace to you. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.